Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about Blizzard games and all the lore contained therein. I'm Ann Stickney. I'm one of three hosts on the show here, and with me today I've got both my wonderful co-hosts. For, first up, he's a lore columnist, he's a grumpy warrior, he's a little bit of everything. That would be Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi. Hey, everybody. Uh, the Avengers movie is good. Go see it. And Not that's all we're going to talk about. Because I haven't seen it yet. (laughs) Anyway, also with us is, of course, Joe Perez. Hey, Joe. Hello, everybody. I have purchased the largest orc that I have ever purchased in real life. It is massive. Like, how massive is massive? So a normal a normal figure is about maybe an inch tall. That's I feel the... like the figure thing needed to be put in there because sure. it sounded like you were engaging in orc slavery. I have purchased the largest orc I have ever purchased. Well, we have to let it go now, Joe. Uh, but yes, it is not orc slavery. Uh, but this thing, instead of being an inch tall, stands almost five inches tall. Uh, and it is basically blackhand in 40K form. So I'm very happy. Oh, that's cool. So is, he's, he's is this boy. one of those unpainted ones that you're going to paint it and do stuff with it? Yes. Okay. You're going to post pictures on Twitter, right? I absolutely am. Okay. Everybody should follow Joe on Twitter if you want to see pictures of this thing. What's your Twitter handle again, Joe? Is it just My Loader? Twitter, it's uh, LoaderZJ. So L-O-D-U-R-Z-J. Feel free to stop by. Say hi. I talk about painting a lot. A yeah. Lot. He always has good pictures of stuff. Anyway. So, uh update folks we were planning on talking about the 8.2 ptr this week we really were um and by the way sorry about the week delay but you know last week was a holiday people had to go do family stuff so that happened but we're back on schedule now um unfortunately with the 8.2 ptr stuff i haven't had like a full chance to really dig into everything and i don't think that rossi or joe have either so rather than just kind of gloss over things that we might not have seen in depth we're gonna table that conversation to the next episode and kind of dedicate the next couple of weeks to digging into everything the ptr has to offer um so yeah next episode's probably going to be pretty spoiler heavy just as a heads up for 8.2 content in the meantime we do have a bunch of emails from you guys so we're going to go ahead and answer some of those because there's some pretty fascinating ones in there today uh if you do have an email for the show you can email podcast at blizzardwatch.com just be sure you put lore watch in the subject line so that we know that it's intended for this show and feel free to ask about the 8.2 ptr if you want to because again we will be discussing that next week anyway First email here is from Makiri on Proudmore US, and it's kind of a lengthy email, bear with me, but it says, Greetings! In doing time walking, I had a small realization while doing the end time dungeon. While I've long been interested in how the four randomized bosses seem to each have a strong part in battle for Azeroth, it struck me how interesting it is that they are in the shrines that they are. 
Tyrande is in the Emerald Dragon Shrine, a logical place given her love of Ysera and Malfurion's relationship with the Dream. Jaina is in the Azure Dragon Shrine, a perfect place for a mage given the ley lines there. Well, that, and she dated Caligos. Bane is in the Obsidian Dragon Shrine, which given that the Black Dragonflight was supposed to protect the Earth and the Tauren revered the Earth Mother, strongly also seems like a good fit. And then we come to Sylvanas, placed right there in the Red Dragon Shrine, the Shrine of the Lifebinder. Any guesses as to why Sylvanas might have opted to show up here, or for that matter, why the Red Dragon Shrine would have any interest in having her essence anywhere near it? Also, what thoughts do you have, if any, on the connections between those for randomized bosses in End Time and their relation to the story of Battle for Azeroth? Love the show. Makiri, Proudmore, U.S. That's a lot. But I'm gonna say up front though. Yeah. I honestly thought this person was going to say that, you know, and of course Bane dated Nefarian. <laughs> I, w- I mean I've really like, been mad at that. After the after thing the is, thing though... about Tyrande Tyrande and, and Malfurion's relationship, and then she's like and of course he dated she dated Caligos. I was like, and of course Bane's this love love affair with Nefarian and or, well, or Rathion he... at this point or whatever. Ooh. But yeah, I think uh, he's I, a baby. The thing the thing with the Bane thing the reason it makes sense to me, I mean, yes, there is the Earth connection, but on top of that, when we got to Legion, all of that stuff in High Mountain revealed that the Tauren have had a relationship with the Black Dragon Flight. Oh, yeah, yeah. since the very beginning. Yeah. Before, uh, you know, before they went cuckoo for Cocoa Buffs, yeah. So, and the, there's that one remaining one that's still out there. And my God, why have they not had a Rathion Ebonhorn meeting yet? Uh, right, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I, I have a few thoughts about why Sylvanas. I don't think it's. I don't think it. First off, I don't think it had anything to do with the Red Dragon Shrine wanting her there. I think the whole point was that the Dragon Shrines were all messed up. Um, but and I think she's Sylvanas the works opposite of what the Red Dragon. Life. Fr- yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. Uh, I think that she's. People often forget that before she became what she is, Sylvanas was alive and. Mm-hmm had a pretty like you had an interesting life and one that she enjoyed uh she liked being alive she was you know she was a ranger general she was the more dependable of the sisters like when her when it was down to her or alaria and everybody thought including her that alaria would be the one to become the ranger general alaria was like no uh, i don't want it i don't want that kind of responsibility <laughs> she was like nah fam i'm gonna go do my own thing thanks <laughs> yeah i i'm she's probably the better ranger like she was a better shot and a better, you know, she was good at the job, but she didn't want the, to be in charge. But Sylvanas had a talent for it. Sylvanas was good at command. She was good at leading people. Um, and she was good at, you know, relating to people because that's part of being a good commander is relating to your troops. That's a part of life. You know, that's something we often forget about her. She she was the one that stood there at the gates holding off the forces of death and would have done it if not for people on her own side that betrayed her. There's a lot, her relationship to being alive is something that I think really works for her appearance at that dragon shrine. The fact that it's something that her life was stolen from her in a very real way, Um, not just killed, but then even her death was taken from her. That's the, the worst thing Arthas did was he didn't just kill her. He made her, her death a mockery. He made it her into something she would never have wanted to be. And that's what the Dragon Shrine is at that point. If you're in an end time, the, the, the Ruby Dragon Shrine, the Red Dragon Shrine is now turned into a nightmare. It's turned into uh, the opposite of itself in the same way that she was. So I think thematically it works quite well. I don't think there's any specific link between her and the Red Dragons, though. There's also been a, um, uh, I don't want to say an obsession, but we've had several instances or story bumps where you know, the undead in some capacity have been drawn to the Red Dragon Shrine in some in some manner, right? Whether it's the forces of the Lich King uh, doing their little invasion thing. Uh, I can't remember the name of the instance now. Um, or in Sylvanas, like, there seems to be this natural draw there. And I wonder if it's because of, you know, like you said, like, Sylvanas is a great case. She had this very vibrant life. She was super alive. I mean, she had love, she had family, she had a job that she adored, she had people that she defended and loved. I mean, even in the shorts that we've seen from that that time frame and, and, and everything, she's, she was very happy. And maybe there's a sort of thing where there's, you know, new life springs from this area. Almost seems to me like it's a place that they would go to try to get that spark of life back, to, to get you that just, joy back. It just reminded me of something. When the Lich King, who the Bolvar Lich King sends the Death Lord out, 
to uh to get the special mount. Mm-hmm. It's a red dragon hero. Yep. Yep. And it's because of the magic that the the red dragons contain that they they make the best undeads. They make an incredibly good undead. The red dragon fight magic. was kind of representative of a, a direct counterpoint to the scourge, anyway. Because if you look at the battle for the Wrathgate and what happened there, the reason Bolvar is who he is and continued to move on is because the red dragons flew over, raised the place with their flames, and he was yeah. stuck. But that makes you makes me wonder if that's also not a possible reason for why. Mm-hmm. I mean, we also know that, like for instance, um, uh, not not. I can't remember his name, and I can't believe I can't remember his name because he's so important. Uh, one of Alex Straza's consorts, the the one, Karastraza, uh, the the one you know was was uh, Ronan's teacher, Coril Straz. Yeah, Krasis. Yeah. He uh, Krasis. Yes, that was the word I was trying to come up with. Uh, he used to pretend to be a high elf all the time. A lot of them do. A lot of the dragons like high elf forms, and this is despite the fact that high elves are relatively recent. You know, I mean, dragons have been around forever, and yet they like to adopt the form of a of a group of elves who've really only been around for the past, you know, few like ten thousand years or so. Not even because when they came over to the Eastern Kingdoms, they were still night elves. You know, they turned into high elves slowly as they were like, you know, and that was about seven thousand years ago, if I'm remembering the timeline yeah. right. More or less, when they finally established Quelthalos, uh, I think Quelthalos was seven or eight thousand years ago, and they finally established it. Um, after they pushed the, the the trolls out, and yet the the dragons love them. I mean, look at how many dragons take high elf or some variation of high elf forms. Um, I think Straza. that one of the important things to look at here and kind of examine is that in this instance, death is not the opposite of life. Mm-hmm. Death, it's or, excuse me, of... it's not. Death is not. Death is the opposite of life in terms of they are two sides of the same coin. You have life, you have death, right? Even yeah. the creatures that are immortal in World of Warcraft, it's not that they live forever, it's just that they're incredibly long-lived. Eventually, they will pass on, and they can be killed. What's the opposite of this life and death cycle is the same thing that is freaking the void out right now, and it's the absence of existence. And that's kind of what Sylvanas represents. She's not alive, she's not dead, she's just there. And I feel like maybe that's why there's that association with the red dragon flight and the red dragon shrine, because she represents the absence of life and death, the absence of that cycle. It's that same cycle that's going on with the light and the void. She's outside of it all. And I, I also find. Go ahead. Uh, go ahead. No, I was just... go ahead. No, no, you can go ahead. I was just filling air. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I do, I, I've do. i been thinking about this a lot, and I know a lot of people have. I've gotten a bunch of messages from people on Twitter, so hi, guys. Um, it's interesting how much in BFA is almost like it's pulling directly from almost this, the, the, the end time dungeon. Where, like, yeah, that's the part of- that I find kind of fascinating, right? And and I mean, it's something that's been brought up uh, several times over is that, you know, the four main players in End Time are main players in Battle for Azeroth, all four well, of them. Well, and if you think about it, too, like, let's let's just go through them real quick, because, like, you have Tyrande, who is at the Emerald Dragon Shrine, and if you want to talk about, like, her descent sort of into, I don't want to say darkness, but... The Night Warrior. More- into the night warrior started when Ysera died, right? Like it really like it, that was like one of the, the points that just started like the slow descent. You can sort of see it happening. And in that instance, it's all about the eclipsing of the light of the moon. Well, what is the night warrior? The night warrior, the whole thing, they're talking about this like eclipse warrior, this, this darkness of the moon. And that's what she became. She ultimately became that um, you have Jaina who has come back more powerful than ever before and with more determination and more focus of person than ever before. And even like, if you fought her in the instance, like the thing she says, she's at the height of, of sort of her power. And and I don't just mean like in the out of control, like it's going to accidentally explode because I'm a mage and don't know how to control my, my power things. It's she's at the height of her power and control. She knows exactly what she's doing and she is scary but it also fits with what happened to her in the the, the dungeon and, and the stuff with Bane, like his connection to the world, his connection to sort of that groundy nature is sort of biting him right now. And 
this is I don't want to go too far into it, but because there is some stuff that will come in the future that shows where this is kind of going with that, too. I'm wondering how much of this is going to play into the end state or next phase for Sylvanas. So I have a fun and when I say fun, I mean, like, air quote, <laughs> fun little proposition here that just kind of wafted into my brain a couple of months ago. Um, when we went to end time back in Cataclysm, we were told that this was what happened if the hour of twilight came to pass. And what we saw there was a dead Deathwing. He had impaled himself mm-hmm. on on the whole dragon shrine um warmest temple yeah warmest temple yep. anyway uh and we saw these four representations of characters that we are very familiar with and we went in there to prevent that from happening or whatever we went in there why did we go to end time it was there we was had a... to go because of um i can't say those numbers is opposite of i can't say the Marazon. name i forget what it is yeah because yeah. Marazon was, was at the end us, yeah we Marazon had to, we had to was at the end of it all so we defeated Marazon, Marazon was blocking us from getting back to get right. the uh, dragon Marazon had yeah. locked down the timeways so that if you tried to travel through time you would end up there there was no other alternative we had to go defeat Marazon so that we could go back to the war of the ancients and get the dragon soul so we could stop the hour of twilight from happening and the dragon flights were all yeah the hour of twilight is why we were created we aren't supposed to let we we have to prevent this from happening so at the end of cataclysm what do we do we get the dragon soul we defeat deathwing the aspects all lose their powers hooray the world is saved or whatever what i'm wondering is was end time actually the end result of the hour of twilight or was the end time where we're going right now because if you look at the parallels here Deathwing is dead mm-hmm. he didn't impale himself on the warm rest temple we killed him Jaina is at the height of her power right now she came to terms with everything that has happened to her and she is in a very good place where she's you know the uh oh my gosh what's her title Lord Admiral Lord yeah, Admiral Lord she's Admiral. Lord Admiral and, and of Colteris Kult- and exactly where she's supposed to be she's taken She's found her place, and she's at the height of her power. If you fought her in the Battle of Desaralor, you know how powerful she is. And then if you go look at Bane, Bane is kind of falling at this point through his pursuit of honor. And mm-hmm. if you look at Sylvanas, Sylvanas is very much on a campaign to do something, and we don't quite know what it is, Right. All of these things are kind of lining up, and all of these things are kind of lining up with what's going on right now. It doesn't look exactly the same as it did in End Time, but there are parallels there. So I'm wondering, was End Time the end result of the Hour of Twilight happening? And by going through and preventing the Hour of Twilight, did we prevent all of that from happening? Or did we just kind of hold it off for a little bit, and this is just something that's going to happen? Actually, let let me throw something at you here. That you just made me think of. Yeah. What do we do at the end of end time? We got rid of Murazond. Yeah, but no, that's that's less important. In fact, we made Murazond, but I'll, I'll get back to that. In yeah. A yeah. Um, <laughs> we we go to the War of the Ancients. Where? Oh, okay. You're talking we, about like the different dungeons. Yeah. When I'm talking yeah. end time, I'm talking specifically the one with Murazond. Yeah, but yeah. But no, but we at the end of that dungeon, we do that entire dungeon so we can then go back. Oh yeah, to the we War of the Ancients. through to the War yeah. of the Ancients. You're right. And when we get there, we directly confront Queen Ashara, who escapes completely unscathed, now knows that there are strange people in her, you know, why were they there? She would now remember that this is happening. Strange people from the future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and no. She, she is incredibly powerful, incredibly patient, and is now aware that there's something there's an important moment coming that is important to a moment in the future. Oh, 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 oh God. Yeah. Okay. At the and end... also who's important, who's important in this current expansion that we're talking about. Yeah. But here's the thing, Rossi at the end of the raid, what happens? Nazdormu's hourglass breaks and all the sand falls out. Mm-hmm. And at Alex Raza says all of her power has been expended. What if that wasn't actually the case? And Nosdormu is still... There's a tangle here. 
Noel's Dormu says flat out, he says, oh yeah, all of the timelines have reverted back to normal now, and the dragon soul has gone back to his appropriate timeline. Boop, boop, boop. Like, nothing ever happened. What if he's not telling the truth? My thought has always been, and I, I remember writing this back when we were working for the other site, uh, the last thing I wrote about to- about time travel was about the fact that we, in order for any of this to have worked in the first place, that w- the moment we kill Murazond in front of, of Nosdormu is the moment Nosdormu has seen his death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it. Right there in front of him. He's just saw it happen. He just watched us kill himself. And we know... And we know that he always knew, like, supposedly had seen his death, right? Yeah, but it's one thing to see it, like, through the visions of the Titans. Another thing to watch to a bunch of people yeah. kill him. And from that moment, he he's... What's he trying to do before? What is It's always been Nosdormu tries to preserve the sanctity of the timeline, and the infinite Dragonflight tries to alter it. That's always been the way it was. It was always the Infinites are showing up to try and change something. And we have to stop them and make sure the proper timeline goes. And here's the thing. The infinites are not gone. No. But at the moment we go to end time, we're no longer acting to preserve the timeline. The moment that Nosdormo comes up with this plan, we are going back in time to change things. Mm -hmm. Because the the, the supposed proper future is end time. We're supposed to lose. The Dragon Soul is gone. We don't have it. We're going back to make changes. We're going back to steal an artifact from the past and by doing so, change history in our favor. That's what we're trying to do. That's what Nosdormu is sending us to do because he's Murazan now. Because he watched us kill him. And now he knows he, he's no longer going to be the guy who doesn't intervene with history. He's now going to be the guy who does. Because he has Every, to, yeah. right? And everything he's done since has been him being more Murazan. I love, I just, I love the timeline hijinks. But I really think about do. What the bronze dragon flight just makes my brain hurt, but in the best possible way. This, I'm not, this is not spoilers because I'm not going to talk about what we know, but I know this much about 8.2. Chromie is in it. Oh, yeah. Well, and the thing is, and I mean, I've talked about Chromie before. We had that whole deaths of Chromie scenario thing, and we didn't some... really talk about, like, it never really got resolved. But there was so much stuff that was introduced in it that was really fascinating. And keep in mind, too, that the deaths of Chromie, it involved all four of those dragon shrines, the same dragon shrines that were from End Time. Yeah. And what I know about what Chromie's doing in 8.2 implies that there is more going on with time. It's getting weirder and stranger. And the fact that everybody involved in in this series of dungeons, uh, if if you go back to all three of them if you use all three not just the first one or the first two but one of the the big figure of the the third dungeon is thrall yep and his confrontation with a shadow of the void priest who's working for deathwing benedictus yeah yeah that that priest doesn't survive but his servant is the old gods and now the old gods know thrall oh man okay so yeah um and that ties the story into this is too. there's a lot more going on in Cataclysm than we had initially anticipated. And I think part of that is, too, that they're just bringing in relevant stuff from Cataclysm. Whoever, whoever is, is, is pulling all of these threads together, they're very good at what they're doing. Yeah. Very there's, good. There's a lot going on that, we, that you know, ties in thematically. That, that's, the fact that Ashara is coming back now, and it doesn't seem at all like it's a coincidence. I feel like this is her having picked an exact moment to strike after all this time. Oh, the minute the minute she, we interacted with her, we changed how that's going to turn out. And in Cataclysm, for, for that matter, in Cataclysm, she has a moment where she's she does something just to mess with Malfurion. Uh, and it's very much, you know, Deathwing and I kind of have an understanding because we talk to the same people sort of thing. And Deathwing's like, you know, rampaging, and she deliberately acts in such a way. And it's in Darkshore, no, mind, mind you. Remember that the, the time that 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 Ishara attacked, she attacked Darkshore. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the horde invades. What do they invade? Darkshore. Oh. You want? You know, and it's there's a lot going on here that we that's still kind of like nebulous, but that's definitely you see the same pattern repeating itself. It's not. This is the thing that gets me. People talk about like, oh, this is just something 2.0, but it's, it's not. It's 
it's like musically speaking, when you hear a piece of music and then later on you're listening to like other music and then that original piece that you heard before comes back like a refrain or, or like it's theme. been sampled a little not well it's like i'm trying to think of the right way to talk about it when you when you're watching oh. the star wars movies like especially like the new ones there's a theme and, and then the theme kind yeah. of repeats you, you hear a lead motif a lead motif yeah. that's Thank what you. yeah it's that's very much what we're seeing with a lot of this stuff right now the old gods if you think of this whole thing has been orchestrated by the old gods or an old god in particular, they've had an awful long time to to see what makes us crazy little bags of meat tick. And they that's the whole reason they turned half of the, the Titan creations into crazy little bags of meat, because they know how to work with crazy little bags of meat. They know how to drive us. They know how to like poke at us and drop, you know, make us go crazy with possibilities. And that's the, the crystal flesh is interesting in that that's what it is. It's taking your one truth that you are this rock thing that will never change. And it's turning you into, you can change into all sorts of different things. You can be all these different things. There's no true thing for you anymore because you have a thousand possible truths. That's the curse of flesh in a nutshell. Turning you into something mutable. Yeah. And by doing that, it gives you abilities that, you know, the, the, the Titans are completely unprepared for. Like when Algalon says, is, is it your imperfection that, that allows this? You know? Yeah, and, and it is, technically speaking. And, and there's that whole that whole element. Like there's the fact that it's Sylvanas at the Ruby Dragon Shrine in, in um, End Time. The fact that Sylvanas is now obviously in a place where she has effectively become anti-life um, in, in the the Kirbyan sense. She is opposed to free will. She's opposed to any will but her own. And she, it's like she's going to impose her view of what this thing is because there's no, she doesn't, it's like you said, what did you say? She's not alive and she's not dead. She's outside she's the stasis. cycle. She's stasis. Yeah. 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 She and just exists outside the cycle. There's that. I don't know. Like it's, it's almost overprotective in a weird sort of way. It's, it's very weird for, Sylvanas, in her way, is extremely attached to the Forsaken. Oh, yeah. Like, ridiculously so. Saying that she loves them seems odd. It feels, she it feels needs odd. them. It's not love. Mm, the thing is, is it, it's, it's, I don't think it's... It's reinforcement of, her, of the validity of her own existence. Yeah, I think, I think, it's, I think it's a codependency, right? Like, it's, it's not like, when I say she needs them, it's not like she needs them or she doesn't exist. It's more, it validates all of her thought processes and actions. We talked about, and talked about how death isn't the opposite of life. I think one way to put what Sylvanas is, what the Forsaken are, is like corruption. We use the word corruption a lot, but corruption isn't quite the right word. I think curdled would be closer. It's like if you take, you take out that life energy and you make it not be life anymore. You turn it so it's now, like when the death, when the Lich King has you raise that red dragon and turn it into this incredibly powerful undead dragon, it's all that life, all that fire, all that force turned inward until it burns you out and that there's nothing left of you. You are a husk. You are the opposite of the life death cycle. You are this negation of it. You're it's like a black hole. A black hole isn't, is, is from a one France standpoint, it's nothingness. It's this place where everything goes to die, but that's because there's so much there that the fabric of the universe can't hold it. It, it's uh, punching a hole in reality because it's so dense and so much. That's kind of like you're what you've got here. You're just a puppet of what you were, really. Yeah. You're, you're forced to forever be this memory of what isn't there anymore. It's like so, they, they burned a hole in reality and what's left is what's you. So so here we this this brings up an interesting question then. So what's Kalia? Good question. And we, I think that we're going to have to wait to find out, honestly. I think Kalia is kind of an experiment. Um, I think that the Naru are, are trying to understand what but Sylvanas it's not just, is. But it's not just the Naru. That's the interesting thing, right? Like, yeah. No, if, it's, if, it's the light if, and, and, and shadow coming together. Right. So it's like if, if Sylvanas is the, I don't want to say antithesis, but if she's, yeah, I'll say it. If she's the antithesis of the cycle, is Kalia like the ultimate expression of the cycle in one position? I don't know. I, Honestly, what I've been I've been thinking about this for a long time, and I'm not saying this is the answer or that they're going to go with, but I often think of it this way: if the undead are the ultimate desecration slash destruction of life, if the Forsaken are 
what you get when you take life and you destroy it. Because keep in mind, they, they come from the, the Legion, and the Legion used um, Fel energy. And Fel is said to be created by the destruction, the utter destruction of, of light and dark and void combined. Like when souls are destroyed utterly, that creates Fel. Fel is created by the clash of light and dark that completely annihilates both. And that's where the, the necromancy that the Legion uses comes from. So that's... I think... I think kind of how I look at her is if you think of life being a sponge full of water, right? Saturated. Huh. And then the forsaken are what happens when you squeeze all of that water out of the sponge and let it dry out. And Calia is what happens when you rehydrate it. So See, I don't think I, them. But was, I, was, I wasn't done. Oh, I'm sorry, sorry Rossi. You know, the, the thing with what I think Callie is, is imagine if you took that sponge, I'll use your sponge metaphor. Uh, imagine if you took that sponge and you don't have any water, but you do have something else. Like the water is the water would be actual life, um, which is this complex combination. Everything is light and darkness at once. Like, you know, reality, the universe is those right. two forces together. But what if you don't have those to use? You can't have them both what do you do like can you fill a sponge with simulated water can you can the light what they were trying to do because i mean they they use anduin and uh oh bloody heck um the uh the original archbishop who's died yeah they use anduin and foul foul is undead and they use that as a template they use the fact that he's undead as part of it but then they they use anduin's connection to the light and I think in a very real way, it's like trying to simulate something with something else. The light isn't life, but you can <gasps> you can simulate it. Okay, go. She's the human form of Rathion. What did we do with Rathion? How oh, did Rathion, Rathion yeah. come to be? Yeah, we stitched together uh, several It's like that all over and... again, only with a person. Okay, all right. Um, we could probably keep talking about this for forever. But maybe we should go to another question, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Um, otherwise, we will just be doing this for the next half hour. So, yeah. At some point, you do have to rein us in. Okay. Our next email comes from John S., who says, Hail, Tribunal of Lore. My question is not about any particular aspect of Warcraft lore, but about the process of discovering it. With Overwatch, I know and accept that the vast majority of the lore will come from sources outside the game itself. But with World of Warcraft, I feel like the balance has shifted toward the game being the prime source of world lore. Still, I struggle to find and appreciate the storylines that you've discussed when I play through the game. When you're sitting down to do a lore-focused playthrough of a zone, dungeon, raid, or what have you, do you approach it differently than when you're leveling or with the group love the show best regards john s that's actually a good question so joe go ahead so i'm i don't know i don't think i'm weird in this regard but when it comes to looking for a story focused playthrough i tend to be very i'm methodical is i guess the best word for it i take my time and i don't leave a zone i don't go through unless i am absolutely certain that there is nothing else to do in that zone and I actually, and this is probably where I am a little bit weird, I have a little notebook next to my desk. And when I'm playing through uh, quests that I think have significance uh, or have something that I want to follow up on or I think there are threads later, I make a note of the quest name and what I think is happening and sort of like what zone I found it in and roughly where it's at. So I kind of like almost like a little adventurer's journal for myself in real life. So then I can pick those pieces back up. And if I see something else that sort of links to it later, or I think is linking to it later, I can then go underneath that and chart it out and sort of like make this little like almost like a thought flow chart. If you've ever seen like when you brainstorm on a whiteboard, it's kind of what my notebook looks like. And that's when I'm looking at something specifically for story purposes. That's how I go through it. And then I can go back and if I need to uh, pull on a little bit of, of further threads, I can then start looking those individual quests up outside of the game if I need to. Uh, see other branches or anything else and then do more research through books or any of the short stories or anything else that might tangentially relate to that. So okay. that that's how I go through. Rossi, what about you? One of the things I've noticed from all from years of doing this and from like talking to other people is how often people are surprised that the stuff that they did had a story to it. Like 
The one that always comes to mind is there's that whole bit in in um, Stranar and the area around it in Ashenvale where you're trying to find you're trying to cure a satyr because he wants he's repented from having joined the legion and he wants oh, yeah. more help. Yeah. I there there are like so many people I knew who did the quests who had no idea that they were talking with possibly a loon. Yep. Because here's the secret guys. Quest text is how we get the lore from the quests. Oh yeah. If you don't read the quest text, you will not know what the lore is because that stuff that you were skipping through to hit accept so you can go run out and actually do the thing, that is the actual lore conveyance. That's the context. Yeah. That's the thing that you, you, if you don't read that stuff, you will not get the lore. And I know that sounds a little, actually, it come, sounds incredibly patronizing, but I've been dealing with this for, oh God, how long have we been right? I don't want to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> but for a long time now. Um, the primary means to get in-game story is to actually read in-game story. Now, they've done a great job of broadening their, their means of, produ- of giving you story. They, they've the past couple of expansions they've put in new cool you know, like cinematic stuff some of the cinematic stuff actually includes your character all that stuff is great but if you don't sit down and pay attention to what's going on if you're just always looking to 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 accept as many quests as possible as fast as possible do them in an overlapping manner and run back to turn them in so you can get more quests that's why you don't know what's going on and because you are ignoring it I'll add to that too. Like, and this isn't an old content versus new content thing either. While they've no. gotten, like Rossi said, they've gotten better about it in new content, trying to like have like sort of those NPCs interact or, or react more and stuff like that. You're still going to miss things if you don't read the text, even in current quests. Make sure use, you do. Can you use like an example? It's two two quests that are relatively recent. They're uh, the Dizar lore and uh, specifically the stuff with Rastakhan and Zul and Talanji. And the stuff in, on the Alliance side, the stuff with Jaina and Thros and what's going on with her. Even if you watch, there's plenty of cinematics, but if you don't read the quest text, if you don't pay attention to what's being said to you by quest givers, if you don't, like, when you turn in the quest, pay attention to their responses. A lot of times, like, one of the things that really caught my eye was how both Joe and, and Anne were pointing out stuff that the Thanos and Bane had already said and done in those quests just just while you're leveling up not even these aren't even specifically about the uh the events that we're currently talking about they're just stuff that they said and did while you were taking quests from them to level up if you don't read those if you don't absorb them then you'll miss out and it does slow you down straight up it it, it does slow you down uh mitch can level like a fiend the guy levels faster than i can and like i if i'm leveling really hard like as hard as i possibly can i still stop and read quest text i can't help it and i stop when npcs start talking to me even beyond the quest like i can't leave until they're done yeah i have to hear what he's saying to me if he if if, or if the, the the one that really gets me that that i try to make myself fight and i can't is when npcs just walk over to talk to other npcs in front of me you have yep. to stay put you and have i don't to stay put <laughs> yeah i don't theoretically i don't need to know any of this to go do the quest i can just leave and go do the quest and this conversation they're about to have that i'm going to sit through is not necessary for the completion of the quest or getting XP, but there's no effing way I can leave. Rokan is talking to Talanji now. I need to know what this conversation's going to be. <laughs> they might say something interesting. You never know. Yeah. And and that's a thing you have to... Once you realize, okay, this isn't about me getting the experience points as fast as possible. This is about me apprehending what they're doing and saying and what I'm experiencing. Then it gets easier to do. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to add on that, but it is worth pointing out yeah they have been doing a better job of introducing like voice acting and things like that and bringing in more of that so that maybe you don't have to do as much reading or you know you can kind of get the gist of what's going on just by listening to the voices um but there's still a lot that's just in the quest text and when i'm doing i i i think it's kind of funny when they you say you know you're doing a lore focused playthrough of a zone um do you approach it differently than when you're leveling or with a group? Um, first off, I don't usually do stuff in a group <laughs> when I'm looking at lore stuff because nobody else has the patience Yep. to do all of that. <laughs> um, secondly, I don't do a lore-focused playthrough of a zone. That's what I do when I level. And um, I know 
for a while there, when there was an achievement for getting like the first whatever level, whatever class you were on a server, um, when I did those, typically speaking, I'd ignore the quests, but it didn't really matter because I'd gone through this on beta <laughs> and paid attention to all the lore stuff. These days, when I level, I clear out a zone completely like Joe does. I go through and I make sure that I have completed every quest in in a zone before I leave it. And I know Joe said that he makes notes in a notebook. I go the opposite route. I take screenshots of everything. <laughs> and maybe I shouldn't do that. Oh, I've got 10 gigs of screenshots. Yeah, I have probably about three times that. <laughs> and that's just on the main drive, like the backup drive. Oh my gosh, it goes all the way back to like Burning Crusade. Anyway, um, for me, it's a little bit easier, like if something important happens in front of me to hit the print screen button and then I can go back and look at it later and go, oh yeah, that's what happened. Or, oh yeah, that's what the name of that quest was. Because in my head... I know what where I was in any particular zone. So if I go to that folder, I can kind of, you know, scroll through it and figure out, oh yeah, that's where I was doing the thing. Okay, let me go back to that and see exactly what they said. Um, because particularly, you know, when you're doing lore columns and things like that, you want to make sure that you're being as accurate as possible. And the best way to be as accurate as possible is to go back and actually look at the quest text um, and, and see what people are saying. And I don't know. I, I mean, it's the same thing when I'm in, like, dungeons or raids. If I'm doing, like, Dungeon Finder or whatever, typically speaking, I won't pipe up very much, which is okay, because nobody else pipes up very much either. Um, and I'm screenshotting the whole way. I'm screenshotting stuff that happens the whole way. And paying attention to, yes, not dying and making sure the bosses die, but also making sure that I'm paying attention to what those bosses are saying and kind of filing it away in my gigantic mental file cabinet. I also have a really good memory, which not everybody has. <laughs> so <laughs> there's just this encyclopedia in my head and I'm filing things in the encyclopedia all the time. But yeah, if you want to look at like doing a lore focused playthrough of a zone, read everything, pay attention to everything, look at what's going on around you. If NPCs start talking to each other, there's probably a reason that they're talking to each other. They don't put these little vignettes in the game unless they're important in one way or another. Yeah, everything you ever see happening in the game is resources. It, it, there's Somebody a had to for, sit down and... Yeah. Yeah. Someone they, had to sit down and write the things they're saying. Somebody had to like make the characters do the things they're doing. So yeah, if they're having a conversation... It's there for a reason. And occasionally you will get the quest where it's just like somebody says, hey, can you go get me 12 zebra hooves for whatever reason? And yeah, those may not carry as much weight as, hey, we need to go save Jaina and pull her out of this place that she's trapped in. That obviously has more importance. But as time has gone on and the game has progressed, the number of those little you know, incidental quests has kind of diminished over time. And the thing is, is the other thing you want to pay attention to is it's not just the quests. The mission table, when you go send somebody out on a mission, there's a little like paragraph there of why they're going on that mission and what's happening. When you like jump into world quests, sometimes those world quests, they'll say something and it's important. So yeah, it's just a matter, I guess, of paying attention to the world around you, like really paying attention to the world around you. And it's not the fastest way to level. It's not the fastest way to play the game. But if you're really interested in the story and experiencing all that the story has to offer, that's the way you play. That's just, just the way I've always played. Just channel your your inner Pandaren. Yeah. Slow down. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, it, it's never going to get you to max level the fastest, but quite no. frankly doing questing is actually slower than than doing questing and and other things at the same time so if if you're trying to, in fact the fastest way i've ever found a level is clear out every dungeon for its quests once and don't run them again because you won't get as much experience a second time but and then do quests outside of it but some people pvp constantly there's different ways point being if you really actually want to know the lore it's really on you the lore is there uh, it's it's always been there. Uh, you just have to when, kind of slow down and look for it. Yeah, when Anne said that this this is just the way she levels for years, I had no idea 
there was a way to level where you wouldn't. Un- That's why I was always so confused. Someone would be like, I don't get what the deal with this, this notebook is. I found it on the wetlands. I'm like, it's, it's Sully Baloo. What, why don't you mean you don't get it? Just read it. <laughs> yeah. Read it and go. Just and read it. It's beautiful. <laughs> But they didn't read it, so of course you don't know what it is if you didn't read it. Oh, yeah. Oh, we didn't even talk about reading the trash items you pick up. Jeez. Oh, yeah. yeah. If you yeah. find a book and it has, like, the little thing that says you can open it, it to read it, open it, it to read it. You do it. Yep. I've there was stuff actually... In, yeah. there I've was stuff in my bank from, like, you know, 10 years ago. Oh, yeah. I still have I still have stuff. I still have, um, you know, the little booklet that you got when you were doing the Scepter of the Shifting Sands quest line? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still have that. Uh, it was like the translation of, or it was like draconic for dummies. I still have that. Anyway, uh, the 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 point is is if you want to understand the story, you have to kind of make an effort to understand the story, and you have to make an effort to kind of read everything and pay attention to it. But that's just kind of the way that you play when you're interested in the story. And yeah, you don't level as fast, but the leveling part that's not quite as important. It's what you enjoy to do or what you enjoy doing enjoy to do what am i even saying today anyway (laughs) what you enjoy doing if you like pvp go level with pvp it's fine if you like you know doing dungeons or whatever go do the dungeons it's fine i i have always when i play games i play games for the story because that's the part that i really enjoy so that's the way Mm -hmm. i've always played it Um, anyway i think we have time for one more email uh, and I think maybe we might go off on another tangent altogether with this one. Not sure, but uh, this one is from Brandon, who says, During the Death Knight campaign in Legion, the Death Lord helps the Lich King raise four new horsemen and their steeds. Buried in the Mission Table quest text is a series of disturbing hints at the souls used by the Lich King to fuel the reanimation, including this line. After the death of his son, Admiral Dalen Proudmore was consumed by the thirst for revenge. Collect the essence of hatred from his soul in the Shadowlands. I've been focused on the corruption of the Horde through Vol'jin, but what if Jaina was also driven to find the ghost ship by the spirit of her father at the command of a darker power? If so, would it be the same power corrupting the Horde, intending them for them to fight, or a different power attempting to stop Sylvanas or her master? Love your show, Brandon. I find this very interesting just because you went and found Dalen Proudmore. And obviously that kind of ties into everything that's going on right now because the Proudmores are very important in this expansion. Um, however, we're looking at two different things here. We're looking at what the Lich King wants you to do and what Sylvanas is doing. And I don't think that they're on the same page. So um, you guys want to talk about your thoughts on this? Well, I was just going to point out, you don't just, you go and you fight Dalen Proudmore's soul. The people you send go fight Dalen Proudmore's actual soul. In the Shadowlands, like the en- yeah. Yeah, the, en- the enemies for the mission, I remember doing this, the enemies for the mission are the soul of Dalen Proudmore, uh, something called a Cutlass Strike, and I don't know what the heck that thing is, I guess it's just his attack, and unending hatred. Just unending hatred itself is an enemy you're fighting during this mission. And they they don't bring back his soul. That's very specific. The mission specifically says collect the essence of hatred from his soul. Hmm. So if anything is left of Dalen Proudmore after this mission, it's no longer full of hatred. So oddly enough, if Dalen Proudmore did then guide his daughter to his ship, he did so not out of a desire for hate and revenge because that part was taken. It would have been the part of him that just loved his daughter. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like the Lich King is making use of his hatred for the orcs. That stuff's gone. He doesn't have that anymore. He's lost the essence of hatred from his soul. The what's left of his soul, whatever would be left would be the other emotions that people feel. So that's interesting. Um, I I've, I've said before, I, I do not think Janna Proudmore is corrupted at all. The very fact that Bane Bloodhoof could show up on her boat oh, yeah. with her dead brother in tow and she didn't immediately nuke the both of them into the Stone Age shows that she's not corrupted. She's, she got mad. Oh, yeah, she got mad. You don't show up with my dead brother, like, walking around like that. But, and like, human mad. She got well, way more, like, you know, her eyes start glowing and she's doing the, you know, the voice. When she starts doing the voice and there's, like, an actual winter wind whips up, you know she's really, really angry. But she didn't kill both of them. Uh, she didn't she even attack restraint. them. Yeah. 
So I don't think she's corrupted. I think if anything, the woman has like absolute iron control of herself. Um, but do I think, I think if anything, proud, the proud more ghost, if it, if it was her father's ghost, it would have been one who was finally relieved of his hate. And it's weird. Um, think about this. Bolvar is the one who gave you this mission. Yeah. Bolvar knew Dalen Proudmore personally in mm-hmm. life. And Dalen mm-hmm. Proudmore personally took in Bolvar's daughter and was raising her as a foundling. Like he was, he was, she was a ward. And Dalen went out of his way to choose who to put Talia with yeah. one and, of his most trusted people. And so Bol, when Bolvar sends you to, he sends you to get the, you know, the essence of hatred. He doesn't have you bring him the soul of Dalen Proudmore. He doesn't raise Dalen Proudmore who would have been an incredible death knight. Oh yeah. I mean, this is a guy who was mad. And think about he raised Thoros Trollbane. Mm-hmm. He doesn't also raise mad. he doesn't raise Dalen Proudmore. He lets Dalen Proudmore rest. If anything, he makes his rest easier because he pulls out that hate. What if that was driving him his whole life? What if it, what if releasing him from his hatred is an act of kindness to release his soul? Like it's we one one of the themes that we see a lot is that, you know, yeah, you can have this this hatred, but it, the hatred's like a prison, right? Like it keeps you trapped in a course of action, or it keeps you trapped in a place. Uh, it isolates you from your friends. It isolates you from your loved ones. It causes you to make really poor decisions and do really bad things. What if this was his way of accomplishing two goals, but one of them was releasing his friend's soul from whatever prison it had trapped itself in? Because I mean- we've seen that too in the past too, where souls are trapped to a place because they're too stubborn to die. Or, well, too stubborn to move on, but they're trapped by, like, their unresolved whatever, and it's usually hatred or anger. Yeah, he was kind of bound by hatred. But the thing is, is, like, if you go watch that Warbringers again, and I highly recommend you do because it was, like, the best one. That's <laughs> I super mean, good. Come on. But if you watch Proudmore or What Remains of Proudmore, what you see there isn't an entity that's full of hatred. You don't see an entity that's thirsting for vengeance. You see an entity, if anything, that is ushering his daughter along her path. And when she says at the end of that thing, Father, I'm listening, he looks up. And yeah, that may be a horrific skeletal face or whatever, but that's a horrific skeletal face that says, thank you, and then fades away. And it's this beautiful moment. It really is. And I don't and think it, that there was any hatred sitting in that at all. It's actually interesting to think about just when you just met what you just said, what it, what it makes me think of is in a way he's trying to give her what he didn't get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the whole bit in Thros is her finally realizing, you know, we've talked a lot about stasis today. We talked yeah. about it with Sylvanas in a weird way. Hatred does that. The cycle of hatred has always been a part of, of Warcraft. Jaina has been sitting in stasis for a yeah. couple of expansions now because she just hasn't been able to move on. She, Yeah, they haven't been able to move on. They haven't been able to let go because that hatred drives through you like a spike and it fixes you in place. And you can't, you know, you can't stop thinking about it. You can't stop. I got to, I've, that wasn't fair what they did. I have to make it right. And that's a big part of the, the whole hatred is that hatred of unfairness that this isn't right. It isn't fair. I can't, you and know. And what, what you have to keep There's, in mind too is that the Dalen that we saw in in Thros, and the Dalen that we saw when Jaina was sailing to Kul Tiris for the first time in however long, that was Jaina's nightmare vision of Dalen. That wasn't like Dalen's soul or anything just kicking around. No, no, it was just an image of him. But it was how even, she perceived him. Even then, like the 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 part we see when she's on her way to Kul Tiris, there's some like the good stuff is still there too. The fact that he did love her, he was a loving father for most of his, like their life together. That's there too. But I just, I think it's interesting to like juxtapose that Jaina having finally let go of it versus Sylvanas who can't. Yeah. And it flares out. Like you see Sylvanas in, in her Warbringer short when the, oh, bloody heck. Uh, I can't remember Erica Lynn. I can't remember her, the name of her character. I just fought her the other day. Summer, like Summervale, not Summervale, is it? Is it Summermoon? Summer Moon. Okay, thank you. Yes. Uh, when she says to Sylvanas, you know, I pity you. And Sylvanas, you can see it, like, just... She doesn't say, I pity you. She says, I grieve for you. Yeah, I grieve for you. And there's that, you know, that part where she's like, you know, you can't kill hope. And she's like, can't I? Because, you know, she lost hope. So 
there's that real interesting juxtaposition between the two characters where one of them is forever fixated in that point, the point of her death, the point where she lost everything. And the one who finally managed to let go, she let go of Theramore. She, when, when Bane says something about Theramore, she's like, Theramore is gone. Like, let's not waste time talking about Theramore. Why, why are we here? What did you want? And I think the reason yeah. that the Jaina thing was like a beautiful dovetail in my mind is like I said, in that moment where she said, I'm listening now. And he looks up and he kind of fades away. He that, doesn't was, that was Dalen, that was Dalen forgiving her for what she had done, but she still had to forgive herself. And at the end of that whole journey, she finally does. And it's this really beautiful piece of storytelling. Like I couldn't have asked for anything more for Jaina. Really? <laughs> they did a phenomenal job with that quest line um, from war ringers all the way through. But yeah, I, I, the thing is, is like when we go back to what Brandon's talking about here, um, I don't think that the Lich King is working with whatever is also driving Sylvanas. And they do not get along. There, There's like a point in the Vol'jin quest line where you go to talk to the Lich King. Oh, and, yeah. And he's not, he is not on board with Sylvanas or what, and that's not Arthas talking. That's Bolvar and the Lich King talking there. Um, she represents something that's, that even the Lich King doesn't like, which is kind of horrifying to think about, honestly. A little bit. Well, plus, I mean, Vol'jin himself is being touched by something that the Lich King is straight up not down with. Yeah. They they won't even let Talanji in the room. Like, they're straight up, no. you can't come in. No. You, know, you work for Bon Samdi now. You, we, you will not be entering this room. So there's there's stuff going on here. It's beyond Bon Samdi, but it, the things that Bon Samdi is like working with or for are the Lich King is inimical to the idea. And none of them wanted Sylvanas in charge. No. Like the, whoever, whoever told him to, to make it be Sylvanas, we don't know who that person is, but yet, you know, yet it's coming. Eventually we'll find out. And I don't think we're going to like the answer, mm, but I'm bum, really bum, excited bum. to, uh, really excited to find out. Anyway, oh, yeah. we should probably wrap up the show here though. So, again, if you guys have a question for the podcast, you can send that to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Make sure you put Lorewatch in the subject line so that we know that it's for this show. 8.2 PTR questions are totally up for grabs. We will be talking about that next time around. Blizzardwatch, it's made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. And your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzardwatch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue and it's free site experience and for you guys the listeners of blizzard watch audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service uh, we didn't really talk about any books in particular while we were talking today but if you want to know more about Jaina, tides of war is a really good one to look at uh, before the storm obviously a good one to look at if you're wondering what's going on right now with battle for azeroth uh there's plenty of others. Arthas. Arthas is another good one. Anyway, these are all available as audiobook downloads on Audible. And you can check them out, listen to them at your leisure. Or you can pick one of the other many thousands of books that Audible has available. There's everything on there. Uh, you can do that by going to blizzardwatch.com slash audible and signing up. And every sign up helps support the show and everything that we do. <sighs> Final thoughts, you guys. Um, we have so much. We talked about so much today that I don't know if I could focus on just one here, but um, I'm going to go back to what we were talking about with End Time and Nosedormu and all of that. Do you think the events that we saw in End Time were the actual End Time? Or do you think we're approaching that now? And that was kind of a cover. I think everything we experienced was a metaphor. Yeah? I think I, I think the more the more that I've been thinking about it over the years... Everything that happened there wasn't a literal representation of what was going to happen. They were almost like over-dramatizations of what was going to happen. Because if you think about it, even the Deathwing thing, how did he die? He In, in the end times, he was skewered on top of Dragon's Rest, He had right? apparently impaled himself. Well, at the end of all of that, we sort of impaled him through with the power of all of the dragons. Like, we did exactly what was there. 
Like, that's what happened. It just didn't happen in a literal sense. Oh, God. We did, didn't we? We took, we, like, we absolutely the, did. that whole soul of the aspects or whatever was all of their powers and coming together. Them. And what does Wormrest Temple represent? All of the, the dragons. Mm, okay. Anyway, go ahead. But, and again, like, everything that's happened there is sort of happening right now, but in a much less literal sense. So I think that it was all sort of a metaphoric representation of what was going to happen. So kind of like I a dreamscape this, sort of thing. Exact. Which, what do you know? We're in the weird timeways where nothing is really as it seems. <laughs> Go figure. Uh, but yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think that we, I don't think we actually stopped the end times. I don't think we, we really did. I think we're sort of in the end times right now. And I think that's what's happening. We stopped the hour of twilight, but I think Rossi was right. I think the hour of twilight was supposed to happen. And I think we done screwed that up because we're heroes and we don't think about the repercussions of our actions. I've been saying that for years. Uh, and now everything that we saw that was going like supposed to happen is happening. Rossi, what about you? Uh, a movie I saw recently said something to the effect of uh, time doesn't like to be messed with. Yup. It hits back. We pushed time in a direction we wanted it to go. Uh, time doesn't like to be pushed. It's if you think of it like, it's kind of like dealing with rivers. Was we, it a we, direction we, changed... we wanted it to go, or was it a direction that Noah's Dormu wanted it to go? The, well, we we did want it not to go to the whole end of the world thing. That We were true. on board with that. True, so. true. But yeah, leaving that aside for a moment, time was pushed in a direction, but it's there's the flow of time. It's going, it's got momentum behind it. It's got impetus. It It has things that, are more likely to happen. And just because we decided we didn't want those things to happen doesn't mean they're still not. Everything that did happen was a result of certain circumstances that didn't just stop existing because we pushed really hard. You can only change the flow so much. It's going to, water always goes for the path of least resistance. Time is always going to want to go in certain directions. Um, and it wants to go. We're seeing like, I want to say echoes, but echoes isn't the right word. We're Rebels. seeing we're seeing the things that wanted to happen still trying to happen is what I the way I would put it. You, you throw a really big rock in the water, you can make a diversion. The water will go around the rock. But the water is still going around the rock and then going back together on the other side of the rock. You'd have to really dam it up. Even if you dam up a river, you create a giant lake, but then the water spills through on the other side and still creates the river. Um, so there's, I think that's what we're looking at. We're looking at the case where, yes, we prevented things from happening a very specific way, but they're still trying to happen. And if anything, we spent an awful lot of time and used up the aspect's powers to do it. And now what's happening to them? They're dying out one by one. We're down, like, how many are we down now? Uh, Malagos is gone. Ysera is gone. Deathwing is gone. Deathwing's gone. Not that he was ever doing a great job, but Alex Raza is removed, possibly of her own volition, right now. And the thing is, is that there's no, there's no such thing as an aspect anymore. Like they exist, they're big, powerful dragons, but they don't have that might that they once had. Their role isn't clear anymore. Ain't what it used to be. And so, in a real way, all all we did was sacrifice one of our greatest tools in and not get much out of it. And I feel like it's worth pointing out just as a last and final note that for people who were wondering, you know, was cataclysm really, did we really do anything in cataclysm or anything like that? Or does cataclysm even relate to anything that's going on today? It very much does. And it goes all the way back to, um, I think it was BlizzCon. I don't remember if it was the announcement for BlizzCon or if it was like after the release of, of cataclysm. But um, Chris Metzen said that the creature responsible for Deathwing was Nazoth. Mm-hmm. And then we didn't deal with him in Cataclysm. We never did. He was just like this thing. He was, I don't think he was ever, I think it was referenced by name like maybe once. Yeah, I think it was the lore panel at a BlizzCon when he mentioned it because I think I was sitting in the audience and I remember yeah. like guffawing at him like, oh, geez, here we go. Yep. Yeah. And we didn't hear about him and didn't hear about him and didn't hear about him. And he's coming back to bite us now. So. This is all if you if you want to know how long Blizzard takes when they're planning things, this was all kind of in the works way back then. So keep that in mind. Anyway, on that delightful note <laughs> Thank you, Joe, and thank you, Matt, for coming to chat again today. And thank you guys for listening. We will see you again in two weeks. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.